Rooted, great that you're in with us this morning. Um, one wee question for you to think about. Uh, what are you most looking forward to about eternal life? Have that in your mind as we go through. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have the wonderful joy this morning of setting our minds on what is to come. Father, we are so bogged down with the here and now that we forget that this is not it. There is something far more glorious and more wonderful for those who trust in Christ. And we pray this morning that you would help us see those things a little bit more clearly, that our hearts might find joy in them. In Jesus' name, amen. As Ian alluded to in his prayers, it's been a tragic week this week, hasn't it? Turkey and Syria, almost 30,000 killed. And, I mean, you watch the news, and I mean, if you can, I'd urge you to respond. If you can give, if you can support the, the relief work. Tragic what is happening. But it has done something else as well. It has confronted us again with the reality of death, the tragedy of death. Forced us to, to face our, our own mortality. Death is coming. And usually it comes with its companions Decay, sickness, broken bodies, sadness. And we don't like to think about it. And I, I suspect that part of the reason we don't like to think about it is because we, we don't know how to get beyond it. For us, death feels like it's that brick wall in the middle of the road. We don't want to think about it. Because we can't see past the brick wall. We can't imagine what it will be like beyond. We perhaps even doubt there is a way of getting around it. And if that is our experience, then death will overwhelm us when it comes. There's a line in the book of Hebrews about Jesus. The writer says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus saw death coming. He saw the cross coming. But for the joy set before him beyond death, he endured the cross. Brothers, this is that is what our time this morning is about. Is about helping us see the joy set before us beyond death so that we might endure death and its companions, broken bodies, sadness, decay. Let us set our minds to do that this morning. First, we're going to think about the resurrection of the body. Now, years ago, I was in a, a teaching session um, and it was about eternal life and it was about this passage we just had read, 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, the, the, the speaker, the guy leading the seminar, was talking about our new bodies that we'll enjoy and, and kind of saying that they're going to be very different, radically different to the bodies we've got now. Totally different. And there's a friend of mine who was um, in the session with me and uh, he'd just left the Marines, been in the Marines for a few years uh, to train for Christian ministry. He was still kind of running 10, 10K a day, 100 pounds on his back. You know, that was just like an average morning for him. And uh, when he heard that our bodies are going to be completely different, he stuck up his hand, and I, I think half-jokingly, but a little bit half-seriously, and asked, what if you quite like the body you already have? Now, only an ex-Marine could ask that, I think. The rest of us were looking down at our increasing bellies and our decreasing hairlines, and, and overjoyed at the thought that we we're going to have new bodies. And yet there is something in what he asked, something in what he said, Yes, our new creation bodies will be different, very different, but not totally different. 
There will be continuity. There will be a connection between our present bodies and our future bodies. You can extend it. We're going to see this later. There will be a connection between our present experiences and our future life and what our bodies will be like. Listen to what Paul says. Chapter 15, verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he is determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Paul is saying there is a big difference between our present bodies and our resurrected bodies. Absolutely, we're going to come on to that. But this analogy he gives between the seed and the thing that grows, it it does tell us that there is a connection as well between our present bodies and our future bodies. An acorn and an oak tree, a conker and a chestnut tree, you look at one of those and you know where they've come from. An oak tree has come from an acorn, a chestnut tree has come from a conker. And so it is with us. Our bodies will die and we will get new bodies, but they will be recognizably our bodies connected in some way to our present bodies. It is this body that will be resurrected. Think about the Lord Jesus. They couldn't find his body in the tomb because it was that body that died that was resurrected. So Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus shows us in in other ways, he was recognizably still Jesus. There was a connection. He was physical. He ate. He, He could be in one place, only one place at a time. He talked and he breathed. He was recognizably Jesus. When I am raised from the dead and I look out and I see Laura, she will be recognizably Laura. I will look at her appearance and think, oh, that's Laura. What will it be about her? I I don't know. What age will we be? Maybe when we're in our prime at 41? Or when we are our most wise in our 70s? Or perhaps better, our bodies will reflect the best of every age. But our resurrection bodies will be recognizably us our bodies. There will be continuity between our current bodies and our resurrected ones, but of course, our resurrected bodies will also be wonderfully different. Verse 42, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Do you hear the contrasts? Perishable to imperishable, dishonor to glory, weakness to power, natural to spiritual. I'd love to spend the whole time looking at all of these. We're going to just take two and think about the contrasts. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. And that's brilliant, isn't it? Our current bodies are perishable. They age and they decay and eventually they perish. They die. 
Our future bodies will be imperishable. They will never decline. No aching joints, no cancerous cells, no muscle loss. Perishable to imperishable. And look at another way that our present bodies will be different to our resurrected bodies. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, at first, that kind of sounds, doesn't it, as though our future bodies won't be physical. We die with these real, tangible, natural bodies, and we're raised spiritual. Kind of bodiless spirits floating around. That isn't what Paul is saying. No, because he says, doesn't he, we are raised with spiritual bodies. We will still have physical bodies. Spiritual isn't talking about the material makeup of our bodies. It's talking about the moral purity of our bodies. You see, our, our current bodies, our natural bodies that have been impacted by the fall, they are morally tainted. That they're like that annoying shopping trolley that always veers to the left. Our bodies at the moment, the instincts of them always veer towards sin. The inclinations, the desires, the instincts always veer away from what is God's way. But our future bodies, they will be spiritual. They will be fully under the governance of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. Every inclination we have now, every instinct of our heart will always be spiritual in the future rather, in line with the spirit. Sometimes we, we, we know something of that now, don't we? When life is trying, when, when work is relentless. And instead of the, the, the usual self-pity and, and anger that, that kind of normally pops into your head at those moments, it, it's patience and it's peace and it's a wonderful thing. We, we have that inclination. Sometimes the spirit works in us even now and we feel it and it's wonderful. But usually it's such a battle, isn't it? Usually we start with anxiety and anger. Our, our bodies are hardwired towards those things and we have to fight our way towards peace and patience. Well, the instinctive, hardwired default of our new creation bodies will always be the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control, kindness. They will be spiritual bodies. So, like a seed sown in the ground, Paul says these bodies will be sown they will be sown perishable but raised imperishable. They will be sown in weakness but raised in power, sown in dishonor, but raised in honor, and sown natural, but raised spiritual. Just notice, though, the key thing. These bodies must first be sown. They must first die. Now, our culture can sometimes be obsessed about trying to reverse the aging process. Plastic surgery, implants, injections, wonder drugs. I'm getting increasing adverts on social media for hair restoring cream. I haven't tried it yet. Anyone try, if anyone's tried it, let me know and then, uh, maybe I'll think about it. And yes, aging, aging can be hard. It can be painful. But for the Christian, I don't quite know how to put it really, we don't need to be ashamed of aging. We don't need to be devastated 
when our bodies break down, when they don't look like they used to or feel like they used to. Because listen to what Paul says in verse 38. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. These bodies must wither and die first if we are going to enjoy our new bodies in eternity. See, that means for the Christian, for the one who is united to Jesus, for us, the declining of our bodies is not the devastating thing that our world tells us it is. It is part of the process of the seed being sown. Just think about that. Every wrinkle, every aching joint, every hair that falls out and doesn't grow back. Don't fear it. The body is being sown perishable. It is perishing so that it can be raised imperishable. It is being sown in weakness so that it can be raised in power. A friend who I see regularly has a a condition which means his body is fading, fading increasingly fast. And I, I watch him and he now has to use all his strength to get words out of his mouth. And on the one hand, it is agony to watch. But it is sadness filled with hope. Yes, I am watching his body die in front of me, but I am also watching it being sown in front of me so that his body will one day be resurrected. It's like a beautiful and resplendent sunflower that begins to wither and fade. It is the withering and fading that allows the seed to drop to the ground so a new sunflower can grow. Our bodies wither and fade, but when they wither and die in Christ, they are being sown, planted, to be grown into beautiful resurrection bodies. What you sow does not come to life unless it first dies. These bodies must die. And then they'll be raised again. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Paul talks about it. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Some of us will perhaps, I don't know, the Lord Jesus might come back and we would not have to face death. Wouldn't that be wonderful? We shall not all sleep, but we should all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Do you know, I've not thought much about what I want to happen to my body once I've died. It's not something that's really ever come into my thinking. But after looking at this, I'm wondering right now whether I really do actually want to be buried, not not cremated. Partly, it's, it's the joy of inconveniencing the children. There's going to be somewhere they have to go. It could be miles away from where they live. And, you know, they've got to look after the gravestone, all those kind of things. There's always a little bit of, of fun in that. But more, bury me. Plant this body in the ground. Because one day it will be resurrected and glorified. Bury me like you would bury a seed. Because one day it will grow again. It will be resurrected into a glorious heavenly body. Plant this body in dishonor and the worms will get at it. Of course they will. It will be dishonorable. 
Plant it in weakness and plant it perishable and natural. And one day Christ will return and the trumpet shall sound. And according to his great power and might and wisdom, he will assemble my body again. A resurrected, glorified body. Plant this body and he will grow it again. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We thought about our bodies. The resurrection of the body. Now let's think about where we're going to live. Life everlasting. And again, we'll use some of that kind of continuity, discontinuity idea. There will be things that are similar, things that are different. Let us start with the discontinuity. Eternal life is life without evil. Listen to Revelation 20 verse 10. Might be on the screen. Can't remember, Christine, if I put it on there. Maybe I didn't. Anyway, 20 verse 10. And the devil, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. The devil is thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. You've always got to be careful with revelations. Lots of imagery going on. But the idea is very clear. The devil will not be part of this wonderful eternal life we have to look forward to. You see, evil is not a force that floats around. It is always personal. It's always found in persons. First and foremost, it is found in Satan and demons. And joy of joys, Satan will be banished. Eternal life is life without evil. But, and this is hard, that evil isn't just found in Satan, is it? It's found in us. And if we hold on to that evil, if we do not embrace the Lord Jesus and find the forgiveness of sins and let the Holy Spirit recreate us from the inside, well, we will not be part of that eternal life either. We will be removed. Eternal life is life without evil. So embrace the Lord Jesus now. Eternal life is life without evil. It is also life beholding the transformative glory of God. It is life beholding the transformative glory of God. Still in Revelation, if you want to have Revelation 21 in front of you, we'll we'll pick up a few verses from here. 21 verse 22, John says, I I did not see a temple in the city, talking about the new heavens and the new earth. He says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. No temple, no place you have to go to to kind of meet with God because the glory of God will be visible for all to see. There's no sun because the glory of God will shine brightly for all to see. Eternal life is life beholding the glory of God. We will see the Lord in a way that we don't now, in a way that we cannot fully comprehend. Maybe that's why we need resurrected bodies, new bodies, bodies that are stronger than these ones, bodies that have capacity that these bodies do not have, that we might be able to behold the glory of God. We will see the Lord. Now look, if this is falling a little bit flat on you, if your response to this is, well, you know, that's nice, Beholding the glory of God, that's nice. 
then I urge you to seek the Lord more in the present. A Christian theologian in the 17th century called Wilhelmus Brackel wrote to his church, and he urged them to behold Christ now because, beyond the screen, that is the beginning of heaven, where the beholding of Christ and his glory will be the eternal joy and occupation of the elect. If we can sit mesmerized in front of a TV show, or watching England being thrashed by Scotland and the Six Nations, or before a glorious sunset, or listening to the music of Mozart or even Taylor Swift, if we can sit there and contemplate those things and find them satisfying, how much more mesmerizing and intoxicating will we find the glory of God in all his beauty and majesty? And there is nothing stale about this. Nothing stagnant. As if eternal life means there's no more growing to be done. No more discovery to be enjoyed. No more joyful surprises. No, life beholding the glory of God is transformative. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17, it might be on the screen, Paul says, And we all... With unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Such a brilliant verse. The more we see the glory of God, the more we help each other comprehend the glory of God, then the more we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. One degree of perfection to another. And of course, because the glory of God is infinite, this is a process that will last for eternity. Our transformation will never end. We will go deeper and deeper and deeper. When I was studying theology, one of my lecturers, uh, a guy called David Field, did some teaching on our experience of eternal life in the presence of God. And, And he helpfully try to get us thinking about what it would be like. And to do that, he, he introduced the idea of the language of heaven. What, what are we going to speak when we get to heaven? I mean, English is, is obviously right up there, isn't it? But, but what else? Well, he suggested that all languages will be there. He said, imagine there I am singing in English, speaking in English, trying to grasp something of the glory of Christ. But I'm struggling to find the right word. Can't put it into words what it is I'm seeing. And then someone who speaks Swahili overhears my conversation. And she says, I think we have a word for that in Swahili. And I try it. And it fits. And it perfectly catches that aspect of the Lord that I couldn't find a word for. And so I grasp the glory of God in a deeper way. And maybe I try Swahili for the next thousand years. And then I move on to Welsh. And all the time I'm going deeper. Seeing more of the glory of God. And therefore all the time I am being transformed. From one degree of glory to another. David Field, my lecturer, then put it like this. We sing the praise of God in Christ once. And that changes us. And as changed persons, we go about our glad and obedient service. And in so doing, we see more of the glory of God. 
And so with ever new combinations of languages, we take up his praise once more. And in so doing, we see yet more of his glory. And so it goes on deeper and deeper and deeper. Eternal life is beholding the transformational glory of God. And finally, eternal life is life lived on this earth. Back in Revelation 21, verse 1, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. We hear that, don't we? And we think, well, this world and everything in it and everything about this life are going to be wrapped up and and thrown away. And God is going to start again with a new heaven and a new earth. And of course, things will be radically different, such that you can call it a new heaven and a new earth. But they will also be reassuringly familiar. You see, elsewhere in the Bible, the emphasis is more on renewal. The word even there, new heaven and new earth, can be used in that sense of renewal. So yes, certain things will pass away. Evil, death, decay, disease, they will pass away. But it will still be this world, this earth. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says that creation is currently in bondage to decay. And it's waiting. It is waiting to be liberated, to be set free. You don't set something free by destroying it. Creation isn't waiting for destruction. It's waiting to be liberated. Set free to be the creation it was meant to be. Or in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says that Jesus, through his death, brings redemption to all things, including the creation itself. Things on heaven and things on earth. When we think of eternal life, think and this is helpful, I think, think of life on this earth, this earth set free, this earth redeemed. Yes, very different, but also familiar. And we can even think of the things of this earth being there as well. Listen to Revelation 21, verse 24. By the light of the city, the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Verse 26, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. This wonderful picture of the the glory of the nations being there in the new heavens and the new earth. What is the glory of the nations? Well, I don't know for sure. But I think it means this. God won't hit the reset button. So that we forget all that we've learned in this life and go back to being cavemen. Now, I think the glory of the nations probably means that all that is good, all the achievements of humanity, whether art or architecture or music or technology or whatever, all that are good and true and beautiful will be there, refined and redeemed. We will look around and think, this is new, but it's also familiar. And we will do things that are wonderfully familiar. We will work and we will cultivate and we will create just as we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. So as we interact with the earth, we will help turn it from one degree of glory into another. All to the eternal praise of God. 
Jesus' death redeems not only our bodies and our souls, but the very earth itself. Eternal life is life on this earth. And look, as we finish, I just want to end on that theme of continuity. I want to give you an image as we finish. Yes, it will be wonderfully different in the future, but life will be familiar. And that means, I think, we can think of life now like a rehearsal rather than an audition. In a rehearsal, you're given the script. You learn the story. You form your character. You build the set. And then on the opening night, the curtain rises and you assume your positions and you perform. That's different to an audition, isn't it? In an audition, you're given a random script or a random song. They they just want to see if you can perform. But when it comes to the play, the performance itself, they give you a completely different script. It's a completely different set. It's a completely different thing. Life now is not that. It's not an audition. As if our lives now, our worlds now, our words now, our actions now have nothing to do with our life in the future. No, our lives now are a rehearsal for the new heavens and the new earth. We are learning our lines, learning love, learning patience, learning selflessness, learning creativity. We are forming our characters. We are building the scenery and the set. And when opening night comes, when the Lord Jesus returns and brings in the new heavens and the new earth, we won't walk on to a completely new set. We won't be given a completely new script. It'll be familiar. When the curtain rises, we will assume our positions, inhabit our characters and play our parts in the longest running show there ever could be. Life now is a rehearsal. So get rehearsing. Know the scriptures. Grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Fulfill your duty. Serve the Lord, whether you're a parent or a doctor or a student. Learn what it means to serve the Lord and do all to the glory of God. So when the curtain rises, you can take up your role and play your part. Life now is a rehearsal. What fills your vision as you look to the future? Can you see beyond death? Do you know what it means when Jesus was able to consider the joy set before him and so endure the cross? Contemplate glory. Consider the joy set before you that you might endure all things now, including death, because of what is to come.